Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Right across the country, we know there's a big problem for people finding housing. Affordable housing is part of that. Um, and now um, we don't seem to be getting too far down that road. There's not a lot of improvement when it comes to that. But at least some places are looking at doing things differently, perhaps, trying to make some changes that could help. And the city of Edmonton is one of those places, but this could be for everywhere across the province. There's a very good possibility that this might work. But the city of Edmonton is looking at bylaw changes that would allow for what's called laneway houses, okay, which is basically building another property on an existing property, but there's more to it than that, but we'll get into it. Um, and could that be a solution to some of the problems that we have? Zoning is the big barrier, but that should be an easy fix. Let's find out. We're going to chat with Matty Simiatiki, who is the Director of Infrastructure Institute and Professor of Geography and Planning at the University of Toronto. Matty, thanks so much for joining us. I appreciate you being here. For sure. It's nice being with you. Um, okay, laneway housing. Let's define that a little bit. Let's describe what we're talking about here so people understand it. What is laneway housing? So in parts of the city where there are laneways, uh, what it means, it, typically there have been garages on those properties uh, that were used for parking cars. And what it means is that uh, when there's a laneway house, instead of having just a garage, uh, there's an opportunity to put a secondary unit on that specific uh, property, uh, and maybe it's uh, one unit up above an existing a garage that remains on the site, or maybe it's a two-story unit, and instead there's no parking uh, in that laneway. So it's a way of uh, gently intensifying uh, an existing uh, piece of land, and it kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with uh, backyard uh, suites, yep. uh, which may be where there isn't a laneway, uh, and in other instances uh, where you're building small multiplexes or secondary units within the existing uh, main house on a property. So there's all kinds of possibilities here. Like you say, we maybe have heard of mother-in-law suites or, or things yeah. like that. I mean, it's just basically adding a property to an existing property in some form, right? That's exactly it. And it's often in urban planning speak to use the jargon. It's called gentle intensification. You'll sometimes hear people call it missing middle. And increasingly, you even hear the term missing little because we're talking about one unit or two units or three units uh, on an existing property. We're not talking about huge, not huge towers being put uh, into beside people's uh, single family homes. We're talking about a real gentle uh, form of intensification. And it's when you talk about intensification, it's along the same lines as infill housing, but it's not the same thing, right? It's not taking a lot, knocking down the house and putting up two houses. It's not that. The existing house remains typically, right? A variety of things can happen, but when we're speaking specifically about laneway housing, it doesn't uh, touch the main house in in uh, right. in a typical setting. Instead, uh, it's it's building a, a new unit where there might have been uh, a garage or maybe uh, just a backyard that went out onto a laneway. So what's the upside here? What, what's the advantage to going ahead and, and building a new residence in an already established neighborhood on an existing lot? So it's this idea of gentle intensification, and you were speaking about it off the top, uh, that you're using infrastructure more efficiently, uh, you're bringing uh, new people into a neighborhood. Many of our existing single-family home neighborhoods uh, in cities uh, likely in Edmonton uh, and Calgary and actually right across the country are shrinking. 
they've actually uh, reduced in population uh, as kids have moved out and families have uh, aged uh, or as uh, uh, rental units have been converted into single-family homes. And so many of the public services uh, are both more expensive to provide and many of the retail services actually don't work as a business. And so by bringing new people into existing neighbourhoods, we're using our infrastructure much more efficiently and we're bringing renewed vitality that can make public services work better and create uh, more vibrant uh, places for people to live. And Maddie, when we talk about infrastructure, there's a couple of different areas there. Because first of all, the, the the lots already have services. So so when you're when you're developing the property there, that box is checked. But in addition, like you say, you can talk about schools, you can talk about fire stations, you can talk about all these things. They're already there. Well, that's exactly it, that you're really just maximizing uh, the usage of the infrastructure that we've already built, and you're creating new revenue streams to upgrade those infrastructure for the uh, piece of infrastructure and facilities for the people that, uh, that have been there historically. Uh, and so, uh, so really, you can you can create much more vibrant communities. Think of the main store, uh, main street retail that has really struggled uh, through the yeah. pandemic and with online shopping. If you have more people in a neighborhood, that makes those streets much more vibrant. And we know that those are what makes uh, great places for people to live. When you look at the list of the best places to live in Canada, they are often places with really vibrant retail strips. And you can think of those strips right across the country. And what they rely on is uh, surrounding communities that. For frequent them uh, 365 days a year, not people who just drop in uh, a couple of nights uh, for, for shopping or for uh, for recreation, uh, but really take advantage of those spaces. You need people living nearby, and this form of gentle intensification makes that possible within the existing footprints of our city so that we don't have to keep sprawling outwards. Now, the other issue with housing in this country, and you know this well, Maddie, is affordability. And I don't know, does this help there? Because I've seen some infills in my neighborhood that have come in, and at the end of the day, you've got two houses that cost more than the original house on that lot did. So it doesn't necessarily help with affordability. Do these kinds of suites, these laneway suites, would they help with affordability, do you think? Or do they cost more too? This is a really important point, that on its own, infill housing and laneway suites will not be affordable. These are uh, inherently affordable. They're expensive to build. So you might be taking the land value out of the equation if someone already owns uh, the property and are building a new unit on it. But construction costs have skyrocketed and interest rates are high and people have to borrow. We're seeing uh, that these units can cost hundreds of thousands of dollars to build. uh, And so they will rent at a commensurate price or they'll sell at a commensurate price. So what we've seen in other jurisdictions like California is government programs that try to offset some of those costs in exchange for uh, lower rents or exchange for even just building them at all because it, because for some people uh, it can be very challenging to get financing for these projects. And what we know is that we need a huge number of new uh, housing units across the country uh, and we need those in all sorts of different forms and this is one way of building a type of housing form that for uh, a certain uh, population uh, will bring people into existing neighbourhoods, give them access to great schools uh, and great communities uh, and as you build more units and you have more supply that will gently bring down the price. Uh, but this is not inherently a way of building a low-cost affordable housing. That requires a significant public uh, investment and support. In terms of barriers to this, is it primarily you know, municipal rules? Is it zoning? Does that need to be changed if we want to see this sort of take off in Canada? 
certainly municipal uh, rules and zoning was the key barrier, that these were, in fact, outlawed, uh, that, that any right, type yeah. of infill housing was, was completely off, off the table. So uh, you need changes of the rules uh, specifically uh, to, make it, to make it legal. Uh, but then there's all sorts of other uh, challenges, depending on how those rules are drafted and how many uh, units can be built. Then there's uh, financing conditions, uh, and there's questions about whether it's as of right or whether it has to go through a committee of adjustments uh, or a rezoning uh, where every neighbor gets to weigh in on uh, the development. And that can slow down a project. And in the development sector, time is money, and anything that slows these projects down as costs escalate and interest rates rise uh, makes a project more challenging. So we need to be able to streamline uh, and make sure that these projects are uh, viable and government rules are one part of it. And then we also need the market incentives to make it uh, financially feasible too. And Maddie, what about just the way we think about housing? Because I'm already seeing it on the text line from our listeners, you know, pointing out, where are we going to park? There's too much traffic. We have a mindset in this country that we need to be able to park four cars in front of every house. There shouldn't be. I mean, we we are just naturally, at least some of us, resistant to this kind of densification of our urban environment. Yeah, and the key here is that this is a gentle form of intensification, yeah. and the the parts, you know, there there are key issues that we know uh, uh, set off neighborhood disputes. One is parking. A second one is shadows uh, on your backyard uh, or on your on your patio or on your deck. That's a second one uh, that sets uh, that that certainly sets people off. Uh, so we need to make sure that we're managing these uh, these dynamics as best as possible. But I think we also have to weigh up the upside. And I think what you've seen in Canada of late is really a sea change of thinking on uh, our existing neighborhoods that they really did uh, used to be blocked off by planning regulation uh, and from from any type of growth and, and, and intensification. And what I think more and more people are realizing is that it may be if, if even if they are comfortably housed. It may be their children, uh, it may be their colleagues, sure. it may be their friends, or it may be the people that they see around their neighborhood who are really struggling. And we've had a real sea change uh, of thought on this, and we're st- we need to get much more creative within the existing boundaries of our cities. And I think that's why, uh, just to say as well, I mean, it's not just Alberta that's talking about this. Uh, this has been uh, brought forward in, in in Ontario, at the provincial level, at this in the city of Toronto, and elsewhere across the country, because there's a recognition that we need to get more housing units built. And one of the best places to do it both quickly and efficiently is in the existing neighborhoods and in the backyards uh, and main houses uh, that already exist. Hey, Maddie, good question here. Uh, last one, I'll let you go. Uh, when you build a laneway house, it's still your house. You, you're not selling it. It's, it's, it's a rental property typically, right? Or can you actually sort of sell that piece of your backyard? Yeah, so that depends on uh, the the regulations. Uh, here in Ontario, for example, you're not allowed to sever them, uh, so it beca- it inherently becomes a rental property that's connected uh, both by the servicing uh, and uh, by the deed to the main to the main house. So you're not actually severing okay. them, uh, but there may be. But depending on the regulation, it may be conceivable that you could uh, see those severed. But I think what we typically see is that they become rental uh, units. Yeah, exactly. Okay, uh, great stuff, Maddie. Thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it.